I love empowering other people. I feel like that's how your legacy lives forever. You don't really establish legacy until you help other people create theirs. Guys, welcome back to Short Story Long. We got a good episode this week. This episode, we are chatting with Charlemagne the God. I'm a big fan of Charlemagne and everything that he's doing, mainly because he's been able to, in such a crowded media landscape, he's been able to really find a unique voice and a unique perspective. And he's able to sit down with superstars and with people who have done a million interviews in other places and truly give a unique perspective that I look forward to hearing every time he does one of these big interviews. And that's something that I really respect, especially when I got started in podcasting, I really started paying more attention to what people were doing and how they create this brand for themselves and how they really create a niche in such a crowded area. So I'm a big fan of that. I really was looking forward to sitting down, chatting with Charlemagne about how he does it, what's going on in his head during all of these big interviews and how he got here. I mean, he grew up in a trailer in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, and worked his way all the way through from interning at a radio station all the way to becoming a massive media personality. And he's far from finished. He's working on countless TV show ideas. Um, he shares with me his dreams of where he wants to go from here. And we also talk a lot about anxieties and insecurities and things like that that go on that you might not think about. Charlemagne has a new book that he just released called Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. And the really unique and cool thing that he's doing in this book and with his platform right now is talking about anxieties, his anxieties, his insecurities, um, stories of people around him, stories from when he was coming up and sort of what he's discovering as he dives deeper into those things by going to therapy and um, trying new strategies to deal with these things. And I think that it's really important that he's using his platform as such a cool voice and the type of person that doesn't usually talk and speak out about these sort of things. For him to be using his platform for this is really cool. So we talk a lot about his book. We talk a lot about some of his anxieties and insecurities and fears. And then we get into his whole story of how he built what he's built. So I think you guys are really going to like this one. I was really excited to be able to do it, and I'm really excited to share it. If you like it, uh, make sure that you hit me up on Instagram. Drama is my name on Instagram. Uh, screenshot your phone that you're listening to this episode. Post it in your Instagram story. Make sure you tag me, and let me know what you think. Let me know any comments, favorite parts, any of that stuff. I will be checking those all day long, reposting stories all day long. So hit me up on there. Let me know what you think. Also, make sure you check us out on CastBox if you haven't yet. CastBox is a really cool platform that's doing a lot for podcasts and podcasters. I've been working with them a lot on elevating this show, and they're just doing a really great job. So check us out on CastBox. And last but not least, make sure you check out my other show, my other podcast, Group Chat. Group Chat's my other uh, podcast that I do with my business partners. We just sit down and talk about all things news, politics, current events, fashion, business, um, all the above, everything that's going on now. We do it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the goal is to really add like a fun, entertaining, but also informative element to the news. So hopefully you have fun listening to it, but also walk away feeling a little bit smarter about what's going on in the world and have something to talk to your friends about at that next uh, dinner conversation. So that's called group chat and it's available everywhere where short story long is. 
that's enough from me. Let's get in to Short Story Long with Charlemagne the God. Listen. Short Story Long. Welcome. It could take your whole life. Preach. Develop clarity. Second, patience. If it's scared you, you should probably do it. Whatever you think you don't have, you have something else in its place. All right, here we are. Welcome to Short Story Long, Charlemagne. This is an absolute honor, man. I will say that as an, uh, what I would consider myself like an up and coming, maybe broadcaster or something. Up and coming? From what yeah. I heard, your, your podcast popping. Well, listen, I, I'm two years in. Okay. I'm getting over, still getting over a lot of the humps, right? When I started, it was super like, ah, super nerve wracking. You know what I mean? Yeah. The point was this, as an up and coming broadcaster, I'm a big fan. Word, thank you. I appreciate that, man. I um, you know, it's interesting with podcasts because I have a podcast myself. I I often feel like y'all kind of got like a foot foot up in the game, only How's because that? y'all get to develop y'all personalities from the beginning. Yeah, like a lot of times in radio, they don't teach uh personalities to be personalities. They teach them to be announcers, meaning yeah. that they get on and they do the time and the time and temperature, like. Hey, it's uh Power 10. What's this? Real, it's real 923 yeah. here in LA. The time is 7:32 a.m. The yeah. temperature is 63 degrees. Here's that new Drake nonstop on real 923 LA. Like they teach you how to do that. Yeah. Did you have to learn all that? Nah, because the best part about me when I started doing radio, I was fresh off the block. Mm-hmm. You know, I was fresh off, you know, doing nothing with my life. You know, I was, you know, selling crack and you know going to night school and then I was working odd jobs. So I used to be in the hood all day. So when I started off as a intern in radio and then they finally put me on the air at Z93 Jams in Charleston, I did not know how to do radio. I always say that was the best thing about my radio career, the fact that I did not know how to do radio. So I would just go on and be forced to talk and mm-hmm. then start taking phone calls and be talking to people because I didn't know how to do radio. Yeah. And I <laughs> Were mean- Were you like bombing in the beginning? Like how did you- No. How did you learn like- Radio voice. Well, I started off, um, you know, voice tracking. Voice tracking is when you record you, you record yourself mm-hmm. and then they play it back over the air so it's not live. So I started voice tracking Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Got to salute my man Ron White. He was the music director at the time. He asked me did I want to be on the air and that's the slide he put me on. And I remember, man, getting some very positive reinforcement early because uh, a woman named Tessa Spencer, who's a, a good friend of mine, and she's the co-host of... She was the co-host of actually The Breakfast Club in mm-hmm. Charleston. There was a morning show in Charleston called The Breakfast Club with Tessa Spencer and Baby J. And I remember her just calling me one Sunday telling me that, yo, you sound good. And then she was like, no, 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 no. You sound really good, like a natural. Really? And she was telling me about an accident that was happening, but I couldn't report it because I wasn't live. Yeah, yeah. But just getting that reinforcement from her and her telling me I sounded good. Yeah. Yo, put a battery in my back like none other, you know. So I kind of, I kind of had it from the be from the beginning. Yeah. Did you, so you never had it because one thing I was going to ask you is like, did you ever have to learn like a formal style and then unlearn it and learn how to be yourself? Because one thing about you that everyone knows that knows you is like you're very much yourself. You call people out, like you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Like, did you ever have to go through that process of great, unlearning? That's a, that's a great question because I started off being myself. Being myself made the program director at the time. His name was Terry Bass. Terry Bass put me on liners. Mm-hmm. Liners is when you just have to read 
you know, like I just did. Like I just did the time temperature in the song. Yeah. He made me go in and out because I had gotten in trouble. I got in trouble because it was this um, guy who used to call the radio station all the time and act like a woman. <laughs> he used to like talk sexy to all the jocks and you know, people would put him on the air. It just became this running thing. And then like uh, people from the town that the person was from was like, yo, that's not a girl that be calling in. That's a dude and his name is such and such. <laughs> and I remember going on the air when she called and I was like, yo, your name is really such and such. You not a woman. Stop playing. And then she's threatening to sue the radio station. So he put me on liners. So when he put me on liners, a new a new station already had popped up in the market, uh, Hot 98.9 in Charleston. And the program director was my man, George Cook. George Cook is now the operations manager at K104 in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So when they put me on liners, George Cook was calling me in like, yo, come over here and be yourself. We want you to do night. We want, I was only doing part-time at D93. So George was like, we want you to do nights, 7 to midnight, Monday through Saturday, here on Hot 98.9. I want you to have like a morning show at night. Yeah. So lo and behold, he was preparing me for my future without me even knowing. He was yeah. like, I want you to totally be yourself. Yeah. Raw and uncut. And I went over there and raised holy hell. Man. Yeah. So yes, to answer your question, I started off raw, got put on liners, left that situation, went over to Hot 98.9 and... And then from there it was on. It was on, but I got fired from my 99. <laughs> you know. That's and well, I want to go through that too, like in in order. But is this too? My other question was like, is this how you always have been around your friends and stuff growing up? Like this was always your personality. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, because growing up, you know, we, we used to crack jokes. You mm -hmm. know, like we'd always clown on each other. Nothing was off limits. It was like when I think about when I think back on it now, I'm like, yo, we're kids as advanced as we were when we were young. I don't know if it was the circumstances, you know, I'm talking about, cause I, I got molested when I was eight by my, my cousin's ex-wife. So I remember talking about, you know, being with women back then, you yeah. know, we'd be sitting around with my other homeboys who were eight and nine years old, talking about older women that we had been with and we were eight and nine. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. You know, and then as we got older, like we were trying, like I remember doing things like trying to steal people's credit cards, they, they, they use them in stores and you yeah. know running out and drinking 40 ounces in eighth grade on campus at Berkeley Middle School. Like we were just wilding yeah. at a very young age. So yeah. yes, the conversations were always high level, laughing, joking, snapping on each other, uh, people's houses, you know, people getting evicted, people's parents being on crack. Like yeah. we, nothing was off limits. Yeah. So that's just that's just how I came up. Yeah, man. Yeah, I feel like nowadays, like kids that are like resourceful are good at like getting more followers on Instagram. Like, I feel like it's just a different. You don't have to be as like resourceful out in the world. You know what I mean? Like these. Yeah. Like I meet young kids now that are like finessing the system of social media, and it's like cool. I get it, and that's like valuable now. But mm -hmm. I just don't think. I don't know. Man, I I feel like when I say these type of things, I start to seem like the old bitter dude. Here's one thing I've learned about social media. Mm -hmm. I've learned, at least from, from me, my perspective, the people that certain people start gravitating towards on social media, a lot of them, I'm not going to say a lot. I'm not going to say a lot. Mm -hmm. But there are some cream that rises to the, to yeah. the top. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody like DC Young Fly is DC Young Fly in real life. Yeah. When you meet him, you know what I'm saying? And when you talk to him and you understand his story, you get why he's where he is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Somebody yeah. like Jess Hilarious, you know, um, she is on Rail Show on Fox now, but she started on Instagram. Like she is who she is, you yeah. know what I mean? Like when you meet her in person, 
you get it. She is that person she is on social yeah. media. Somebody like Cardi B. You know, Cardi B is who she is in real life. Like, they got some type of magnetic personality that, that makes people gravitate towards them, whether they're on social media or whether they're, you know, doing music, doing television, doing movies. Yeah. They'd have been who they were regardless. Now, don't get 100%. me wrong. Some of these motherfuckers don't have no personality whatsoever. Yeah. I had a, I had a TV show on Uncommon Sense. It was a talk show. I did three seasons on MTV, too. And um, I had this idea just to, like, yo, let's try to elevate these voices on black Twitter. Like, yeah. you know, they got these personalities online and people are always retweeting them and liking their tweets and they so funny online yeah so let's bring some of them in yo we auditioned like a hundred people did it work or not? no out of those hundred it was like one my man taxstone you know yeah. he's locked up right now but yeah you know taxstone and maybe like like maybe like one other like Kaz or somebody but other than that it was like nah because it just doesn't translate right mm -hmm. i mean some people just are good on the on the phone and not they go with their I mean? thumbs not with their tongues yeah because this is another scenario i just want to give you and i don't want to sound like i'm playing this dude out because he's a friend of mine but he i have a friend who used to work here doing marketing and his sort of mission at that time was give celebrities and athletes and whatever product work for different brands whatever like follow that career path he ended up getting so good at hacking growth on instagram that he made a page for his dog for his pug and he now makes a living off of getting sponsored posts for a pug page. That's stupid. So that's what I'm saying when that's I'm saying that stupid. there's like people are figuring out how to finesse like the wrong thing. Well, that's not, I, I can't even say that's your man's fault though. That's the audience's fault. Like you can't, like yeah. that's the consumer's fault. The yeah. consumer chooses what it wants to consume. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if the consumers are saying, hey, we wanna, you know, go to this pug post every day. <laughs> yeah. I can't really yeah. be mad at your man. I'm looking at the consumers like, yo, this is so yeah. stupid. Just, that's what I mean when I say like, they're not being resourceful like in the real world. They're just figuring out these weird, you know, like the yeah. stars are going to be the stars regardless, like the yeah. people you're talking about. Yeah. But there's all that, there's this new path where you can make a living yeah. finessing the system. I will say though that it doesn't matter what it is you're selling, somebody's going to have a problem with it. Like I, yeah. I, I put out a book my new book is called Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. And, yeah. and it's my second book, you know, and this book is about my experiences with anxiety yeah. and going to therapy to try to figure it out. And, you know, I was keeping a journal of, of, of going to therapy and in the process of going to therapy, I started, you know, getting to the source of my PTSD yeah. and, you know, getting to the source of, like, you know, trauma that I had from things that happened to me when I was younger and, yeah. you know, I... I I wrote this book and I'm got these pages and well, it started with the journal, but I got these pages and I'm like, oh shoot, this is turned into a, a mental health book. I didn't know anxiety was a mental health issue. Yeah, I didn't know PTSD was considered a mental health issue. I had yeah, no I idea that. until this year. Yeah, you know, and then it's like, all right, well let me bring in an expert. So I got my man, Doctor Ish Major, because what I was trying to do was transcribe a lot of the things my therapist was telling me. Yeah, but I was like, nah, that's not. That's that's kind of whack, you yeah. know. Like I feel like that information was for me. So let me bring in Dr. Ish Major, who's an actual expert in mental health, and let him give clinical correlations to all the feelings that I'm explaining. Yeah. So I, I I put this book out. Book's doing very well, and now I got people on Instagram hitting me, telling me, well, on Twitter hitting me, telling me, yo, you're you're doing the mental health what Kim Kardashian did, the criminal justice reform. 
You know, you just, you just, you need to bring in some of the experts on your platform to keep this conversation going. So I'm like, okay, I'm not supposed to talk about my experiences with anxiety yeah. and me going to therapy because of who I am. But that's what all the power is. Because I just read the book, right? Mm -hmm. All the power is, and that's what I was going to tell you is, I know that you angle it a lot at like the African-American community. What I'm saying is there's so much power in like a cool dude talking about this shit yeah. because they don't, right? It's only experts talking about it and so when they say mental health when they get all boring when they whatever you just tune it out right yeah. i was the same way like i i deal with anxiety um like in a pretty real way and i didn't when i always heard the words mental health i was thinking like schizophrenia and, like, way out there yeah, stuff. you know absolutely. what i mean and and even just the concept of like exercising and sort of maintaining mental health the same way you do physical health That's was it. such a like breakthrough for me but it's only because nobody ever positioned it that way, right? Mm -hmm. It was only spoken about by the experts and stuff. So the point is, and I know that you know this, but like all of the power is in someone like you talking about it in like layman's terms, not the experts, Word. you know what I mean? And, and the funny thing is you, you said I, I, I angle it towards black people. It's not that I'm angling it towards black people. I just feel like it's easier to speak about my experiences. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I, my mother always told me growing up, read things that don't pertain to you. So yeah. I, would, I was the guy in the library Checking out Judy Bloom books. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Beverly Clearly, reading about all these little white girls I knew nothing about. Yeah. But they were just entertaining stories. Like, I'm yeah. the type of person, I'll pick up a book and read it. It doesn't matter what race you are, gender, sexuality. If it's interesting content, it's interesting content. So yeah. I prefer people who talk about their experiences yeah. and, 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 and their experiences. Like, I can only talk about me being a black man from South Carolina, yeah. Yeah. living the life that I'm living now and, and, and talking about the things that I've gone through. Like, it's yeah. easier to just... Speak from my, my perspective. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. I just think that, I'm sure you realize this, but the the fact of it not being properly spoken about, I'm sure is super heavy in, in the black community, but like, it's in all, like, man, like, it's just not talked about to young people the right way. That's yes. why I think that what you did with this book and what you're doing and like the sort of mission that you're going on with this is like super important. I know you feel how important it is, but it's really important. It feels bigger than me. And the yeah. reason it feels bigger than me is because I didn't set out to write a book about mental health. Like, mm -hmm. that was not my intention mm -hmm. at all. I did not, you know, come up with this idea last year, like, I'm going to write a book about mental health. All I was doing was trying to get a handle on my anxiety, yeah. writing it down in my journal. To, I was writing down things that give me anxiety, things that have historically given me anxiety, yeah. and going to therapy to deal with it. And then you know how it is when you start going to therapy, man, you start unpacking shit about yourself. You didn't even know that you... Yeah. had in you yeah. I, I love my father but i went through a period this summer where i hated my father yeah. then i hated my therapist for making me hate my father yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then yeah. i finally had to have a conversation with him about what was bothering me and you know we got back to a better place and and it's like just little things like you learn things like i didn't yeah. know my mom went to therapy 20 years ago because she was upset about her and my her and my father getting a divorce like yeah. i didn't know that yeah yeah you know i didn't know my grandmother you know, really had real bad anxiety because of a, a tornado that she had went through when she was younger. Yeah. Like, I didn't know all of that. She was just super paranoid to me growing up. Yeah. I didn't know she was actually on nerve medication. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like you learn so much in the process. So I'm just talking about all of this in the book and it just became this conversation about mental health. And now it's like, I feel like it's just bigger than me and I see the need for it, yeah. so why not? Yeah, I just think this is one of those things where like the 
the the universe is just going to start working for you in this yes. aspect because you're doing the right you're doing something that nobody does but everyone feels and when yes. you hit something like that all of a sudden these people are going to come out of the woodwork and you know what i mean like you're yes. just going to feel like oh shit this is really something the universe is conspiring for us to have this conversation i look at what taraji p henson is doing with the boris lawrence henson foundation you know mm -hmm. that is it's named after her father who dealt with mental health issues and taraji deals with mental health issues and she is trying to eradicate the stigma of mental health in the black community i'm looking at what chance the rapper did in chicago donating a million dollars to mental health services even on the breakfast club this year it's like yo all of these different i don't know if it's because of the energy i'm giving out or because i'm talking about my stuff so openly but everybody's coming it having is. these conversations from athletes like tyson fury to celebrities like judge lynn tyler it's just a, i just think it's a beautiful thing and i feel like everything is mental to me mm -hmm. everything starts with a thought everything like if you the whole world is the whole world yeah. if you truly believe your thoughts become things yeah then 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 you have to know that how important getting your brain Energy yep. is in order. Yeah. And the other thing that I always tell people is like, if you, if I was, if I played football growing up and I blew my ACL out, right? And for mm -hmm. the rest of my life, I had kind of a bad knee and I knew I had to work on it and, mm -hmm. and give it some extra love and strengthen it and blah, blah, blah. That wouldn't be looked at as weird. But if you had a mental trauma happen when you were young and, and we look at going and doing work on that as weird and like, oh no, you're weak or you lost it or, you know what I mean? Yes. And I think like people don't realize all those little things are little mental traumas. Yes. Um, and they need work. Like you just gotta do little work, little maintenance. Man, you know how many times I've gone to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack? Yeah. How many times <laughs> I've gone to the problem because I thought I had an ulcer yeah. or something wrong with my stomach and it's nothing but my thoughts. Yeah. It's really nothing but worry. Yeah. It's really nothing but stress. You know, I'm, I'm on the ride here and I'm telling my, my people's in the car, I'm like, yo, 95% of my issues have to do with somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's me worrying about other people. Mm -hmm. Like it's all it's, it's always some bullshit going on. Like, like what all, they think or like other people doing crazy shit? Both. Yeah. You know, but really, really more so other people doing crazy shit. Like, you know, you have people in your family who going through things. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't realize when you from any environment, you know, you can be good. But you might have a brother that's fucked up. Yep. You know what I mean? Or a cousin that's fucked up. Or you got friends who are experiencing things that you can't fix. Yeah. Your money don't fix. Your celebrity don't fix. You know what I'm saying? None of that shit fixes the real issues that are going on in other people's lives and in your life. Yeah. So it's just like, yo, all of that does is just cause add more added stress all the time. And, you know, I, I suffer from survivor's remorse as it is. Yeah. You know, like like being that guy who came from this small town, who came from this environment, you know what I mean? Being like the the, the one person of all your peers who like really, really made it, you yeah. know, and on, on, on the level that people think America is supposed to make it at, which is so whack to yeah. me. That's a whole that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I think the I think the concept of celebrity in America is so whack. And I yeah. think the fact that we act like you have to be a celebrity in order to be successful in America is so whack. Yeah. You know, what's a guy out there right now making $30,000 a year, got a car, he got a house, he keeps food on the table, and he's happy doing what it is he does. Yeah. Yeah. That's success to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I agree. Long story long. I agree. I like oh, it, man. Bullshit. Um, let me ask you this too, only because, and then we'll get into uh, the story a little bit, but because we talked about it in the beginning, like you talked about podcasters having the... Uh, benefit of being able to work it out first, right? Would you say that anyone who, 
young person now, or it doesn't matter what age, uh, potentially wants a job in broadcasting in any sort of media like this, should they start a podcast instantly and yes. work it out with the audience? Yes, they should start a podcast. They should start a a vlog. Mm -hmm. They should be doing you know videos on their Instagram. You got artists like Ella May who got the the, the attention of DJ Mustard because she was covering songs on her Instagram. Like, yeah. what are y'all waiting for? Like, I yeah. hate when people come up to me and like, yo, put me on. How do I get on? What the fuck do you mean? Yeah. How do you get on? You got every outlet that's already on. Yeah, yeah. All you got to do is get on these outlets and start giving the world whatever it is that you got. Yeah. You build it, they will come. Remember those old Wendy's commercials? Yeah, yeah. When they, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Yes, if you build it, they will fucking come in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have this growing up, drunk. Yeah. I didn't have none of this shit. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I, had to go, I had to go do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. And by the time I had gotten, all my new jobs came because of social media. Like I remember, you know, Wendy Williams, her producers were listening to my interviews because I was posting them online and I had things that were going viral. I got to shout out websites like All Hip Hop, All Hip Hop and SOHH because they were around way before there were hip hop blogs and yeah. they were posting interviews that I did. Yeah. And that, that was a big deal back in the day. You know, guys like DJ Vlad, they had mixtapes and it was like uh, the beef, he used to call them the beef series and yeah. he'd have all of these different beefs from the culture on these CDs and he'd be posting interviews that I did, different artists getting at me, yelling at me, screaming at me, because this shit been going on way since <laughs> yeah. in Columbia. When, yeah. when I was doing radio in Columbia, South Carolina, with Buffy the, the Buffy the Body screaming at me, or T-Pain calling me on the phone to bark at me, or me clowning T-Pain for sounding terrible when he used to sing. So those were the platforms that we had to use. Yeah. But I can remember when me and Little Duval started doing the Hood State of the Union, which was a web series, uh, the, my man Cadillac Jack hired me I'm not gonna say he hired me because of those videos, but when I had gotten fired from 100.3 to beat in Philly, and I was just doing that, yeah. he saw those videos. Yeah. They used to watch those videos, so there was always a platform for your vo for, for our voices to be heard, and now these kids got more platforms than ever. Like, yeah. you think people aren't scouring the fucking internet, listening for those new voices? Yeah. Listening for that next talent, you think they're not paying attention to podcasts? How can you not pay attention to some of these podcasts that's getting three hundred thousand listens a week? Yeah. I want to know why three hundred thousand people are into this shit. Yeah, yeah. And how do you like? Because I could see the next question being, how do you? One thing that you've done incredibly well in not only social media but just media in general is being incredibly unique, right? You have your own voice that isn't like anyone else's, mm -hmm. and when someone comes to the Breakfast Club you watch it because you want to see how Charlemagne interviews that person. Mm -hmm. So in this sea of so much information, so many podcasts, so many Instagram pages, how do you be unique? How do you stand out? By truly being myself because mm -hmm. all of our DNA is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody on this planet has different DNA. Just like no two snowflakes are alike, no mm -hmm. two human beings are alike. The problem with us is we get caught up and what we see working for other people, and we try to emulate that, or we get, or we become characters of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I, I've been guilty of that subconsciously. You know, if, if I step back and I'm honest with myself, I think about at a point when they was calling me the hip hop Howard Stern, or you know, the black Howard Stern. You see that in magazine articles because I'm not sitting around thinking about myself. I'm yeah. not sitting around like. Oh, I'm the hip hop Howard Stern. But yeah. when you start seeing people say that about you, yep. and you start seeing the interviews that people may gravitate towards, you subconsciously start trying to give people more of that. Yeah, 
you know and 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 to me that's whack that's not really you being yourself that's you being what everybody wants you to be so yeah. constantly being yourself is doing exactly what i'm doing now taking people through those journeys like yeah. i'm a father now i'm a husband I don't cheat on my wife anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was. I, I talk about all those experiences, the good, bad, and the ugly of my life. Whether yeah. it was, you know, getting arrested for shit, or you know, cheating on my wife, or my wife cheating on me, and and telling me that the guy she fucked had a bigger dick, like, yeah. like and me taking Magna RX pills from the back of the Source magazine and doing penis exercises where I'm grabbing the tip of my penis and stretching it trying to make my <laughs> dick bigger because I'm mentally fucked up because yeah. she just told me this guy's dick is bigger than me. Or right now, my journey of Yo, I've been dealing with anxiety my whole life. I'm trying to finally get a handle on yeah. it. Uh, yes, at, at 39 years old, I realized that I don't have it together like the way I thought I had it together and unpacking all of this bullshit yeah. from 40 years of my life. Like yeah. I am sharing my real experiences with people. You know why? Because it's therapeutic for me. Yeah. And I have the platform to do it. Yeah. So why wouldn't I? Because I feel like, I feel like drama, man, I, you go through all of these experiences in life to share them with other people, like, yeah. so they don't make the same mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes things happen to you so God can work through you. Yeah. You know, I'm the type of person, I always said smart people learn from their own mistakes, wise people learn from the mistakes of others. Like, yeah. I'm going, I went through all of this shit so I can share it with other people. My favorite thing to tell people is learn from me. Yeah. I literally told one of my homeboys that today because I saw him making a fatal mistake. And I'm like, bruh. <laughs> learn from me yeah. charlotte did that so you don't gotta go through that yeah you know yeah, yeah. i also think in like in, in the way it works today like it used to be where you kind of could invent this character and go play the character like on tv or on radio or whatever but like it's now the people that are winning are the people that are telling the truth like you can't hide behind some nah. character anymore you nah. know what i mean it's the age of transparency yeah so when you live in the age of transparency you know everybody can see through you anyway yeah like they can see through that facade, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and 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 I, I think that when you see people, and you don't know exactly which way they're going to come this time, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, it's one like, it's always one through line, right? Yeah. Like, like, like with me, I think my through line is, I'm gonna always be honest. I'm gonna always be authentic. Yeah. You just don't know what I'm gonna be honest and authentic yeah, about. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to grow. I'm not afraid to evolve. I'm not afraid to unlearn any of the bullshit that I've learned. None of that. Yeah. You know, I just like to be my authentic self at all at at all times. Yeah. You know, and I think that I think the the universe rewards honest people, man. Yeah. And and, I, and like I said, I'm just not a I'm not afraid. Yeah. Like, what's there to be afraid of? Yeah. Like, you gotta really if you're gonna really live your truth. So nobody can use your truth against you if you're gonna really Eminem and eight mile this thing, <laughs> yeah. then do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't beat me with none of these sticks. Yes, I got insecurity sometimes. Yeah. Yes, you know, I, I I I get overwhelmed with things. You know what I mean? Yes, I have anxiety. Yes, I have fears. I have things that scare the fuck out of me. Yeah. You know? But so what? I'm a, I'm gonna I'm learn how to deal with it. I'm gonna yeah. learn how to handle it. That's so good. It's so good. It's a gift. It's something like special, like the way you connect with people with that is something really special. My other thing is like, how do you, as someone who deals with anxiety and also someone who is known for not being afraid to like straight up confront people and say the same thing you said on another radio show, like how do you not get anxiety in like a Birdman situation or a Beanie Siegel or aren't you like, if that was me, I'm just being honest, I would probably have a panic attack and leave the room. Because I, um, I, I believe in irrational anxiety and rational anxiety. Mm -hmm. Rational anxiety to me is when you are fully aware of the source of your anxiety, yeah. 
So it's no surprise to you. What causes me to panic attacks is when something uh, scares me that I didn't know was going to scare me. Yeah. That, that that's when you have the panic attack when you weren't prepared. Yeah. I know what I've said about Beanie Siegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I said about Birdman. I knew they was coming in there on the rah-rah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's why I say I always miss the days when people would just straight up fight you. Yeah. Because when they fight you, you just know it's a fight. Yeah. It's nothing really to panic about. You're either going to fight or you're not going to fight. Yeah. You know? Um, like it's a video when these dudes tried to jump me in front of the radio station. Dude pulls out the camera. He's like, yo, can I get a drop? The morning before that, they did the same thing. Yeah. So I'm still a little surprised. Like, yo, what's up with you guys in these drops? It's five in the morning. You're pulling out cameras. Yeah. I'm not used to that at, at that time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was 2012, 2013. I wasn't, I'm like, what is this? This is something new. Yeah. And somebody punches me in the back of the head. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. So I take off running. Then I, I turn around to see what the fuck's going on. I see three, four dudes running at me. Oh, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's an easy fix. Yeah. Easy fix, you know, and, and initially you have a panic attack, like, Yo, what the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? But then you turn around and you see what it is and then you get it. You're like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the Birdman, Beanie Seagulls. I know they coming in there on the rah-rah. It's yeah. nothing for me to do other than take a couple deep breaths yeah. and let's talk. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm more scared of not saying to them the same thing I've been saying about them yeah. because I'm more scared of what the audience is going to say. Yeah. Now the audience is looking at me like I'm I'm a sucker. Yeah. Now they don't now they don't take my words serious anymore. Yeah. Because, oh, you the guy that's gonna say all of this stuff when they not around, but when they're in your face, you you're not gonna keep that same energy. Yeah. I don't respect personalities like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't respect broadcasters like that. I actually look around sometime and I see a lot of people that they compare to me, and I'll be like, why are y'all comparing them to me when they've never said any of this stuff that they say? Yeah when the people aren't around to these people's faces. Yeah. That's what separates me from everybody else. That's the energy I like. I like to see people keeping that same energy. Don't talk about somebody, yeah. talk to the person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you're really good at it. I just wanna break for one second to talk about this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business, and I've learned that firsthand from searching for months and months and months for the right people for the right job and just not being able to find the right person, even hiring people that just didn't work out. And it's such a waste of time. It, it drives me nuts. That's why it's so important to find the perfect person for the job. But where do you find that person is the question, right? You can post on a job board and hope that the right person will find your job. But think about it. How often does anyone sit around and just hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow in their career, and discover job opportunities. LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. And with 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People who are qualified for your role and ready for something new. It's the best way to find the person who will help you grow your business. And why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. So here's the deal. Go to linkedin.com slash drama and get 50% off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash drama to get 50% off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash drama. Terms and conditions do apply. Let's get back to this interview. Um, okay, so let's jump into the story real quick. Mm -hmm. You're from Monk's Corner, 
-hmm. South Carolina. You shout it loud and proud. Population less than 8,000. Well, it's about 10,000 now because people have been fucking, but. <laughs> you made it popular. Yeah, they fucking. <laughs> you grew up in a trailer. Single wide trailer, yeah. Can you just paint for me like a picture of what that's like, what childhood there is like? Like, what, what did you do for fun? Like, when you were super young, what did you, like, what is it like growing up there? You know, it's interesting. I, um, I, I maybe a couple years ago, I was just on my phone on Snap when Snap was popping, and I was, I went to, went inside my old trailer because it's still in my mom's backyard. Mm -hmm. We actually used to rent it out, and you don't realize how small that trailer was. Yeah. Like, like you walk in, and my mom and dad's room was to the right. Then it was like what was supposed to be the living room area. Then it was like the kitchen. Then it's like the room I used to be in. Then you walk down like a small hall, and it's a bathroom in the back, and then this, the room my sister used to be in. And I'm like, how the fuck? Yeah, did we live in this yeah. this this shit? And um, you know, just growing up for fun, we used to, you know, we had the woods. We used to play in the woods because yeah. you had like the woods, and you had like a path that you could walk through. We used to play in the cornfields. Yeah, we used to play basketball all day. We used to get on our bikes and just ride down different dirt roads all mm -hmm. through Monk's Corner. You know, you had like Scotchmans and you know uh, Sitco gas stations. Like we would get on our bikes and ride to if we had any little money for candy. You had neighboring neighborhoods like Conifer Hall. We'd go there and kick it with the kids in that neighborhood. Like everything was outdoor activities. Yeah, you know, yeah. even when even when Nintendos and stuff started to come around, we'd play Nintendo. Well, we wouldn't be in there playing Nintendo all day. Yeah, you know, you play mm -hmm. Nintendo for a little while, but then like being outside was fun. Yeah. Like being a being one with nature was fun back in the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you know, go when you get, you know somebody get old enough to drive, you start going to Walmart late at night. You know, because there's <laughs> nothing else to do. Yeah, twenty four hour Walmart popped up in the in the town, and you walk around there all morning. Yeah, and then of course you know as you get older, you start getting introduced to weed and you know drinks and pussy. Yeah. And then now it's and then now, that takes over. Yeah, now <laughs> now she got your little girlfriend staying with her grandma because it's easier to sneak into grandma's house yeah. than sneak into the mom's house. And now you riding your bike three four miles just to go get some pussy, and you sneaking into grandma's house. It's just it was a regular rural era area living. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I, I often say to myself, I had absolutely no reason to believe. I could be in the position that I'm in right now. Yeah. And did you believe that at a young age? I always felt like I was destined for greatness on some type of, I hate the word celebrity, but celebrity level. Yeah. Because I used to be in my grandmother's yard and I used to be standing at the edge of my grandmother's yard because it's like it, it, it used to seem like this massive field when I was young. It's not that massive now, yeah. but it used to seem like this massive field. And I would literally act like I was the leader of a rock group. Yeah. And and I just always had these stupid visions of like you remember like the Thundercats and like mm -hmm. oh, I, I, I I I I thought I was like a one of them. Like I, it was oh, like yeah. it was like I was like a part animal part yeah. man and yeah. I don't know why I would think that and I would be playing guitar and acting like I was like playing guitar for millions of people all the time so I always felt like I was supposed to be on the stage in yeah. some way shape or form yeah. I always felt that way always I remember getting fired from this place called Industrial Acoustics Company 
it was a warehouse and it was me and a couple of guys and we were in they had us out like in the field literally like knocking down weeds and there was like this big metal platform i guess it was like a old foundation of something i don't know and i remember standing on that and like d dancing and <laughs> yeah. singing and acting like i'm cracking and they're all laughing at me and my the supervisor's just looking at me shaking her head like yeah. <laughs> her name was Gail Cobb. She fired me too. Like for that or no? I don't. Know, she just called me in and told me that I didn't fit in with whatever they was trying to do. Yeah. So what age was that? What age was that around? Oh, I'm bad with this kind of stuff. I I, I was. Uh, I had just gotten out of jail. I went to jail in '96 for um, assault and battery with intent to kill. So I had to be like, let me see, maybe. 18, 19, got I think. It, I don't got it, got it. What age when you started getting into like drug dealing and shit like that? Um, I started hustling like, um, let me see. I started hustling like 90, 97, mm -hmm. 97, 98, because I got arrested from high school. Like I would, I was always, I was always hanging around the guys who were hustling. Yeah. But I never was hustling myself until, um, you know, me and my man, we went to jail. I was sitting in the backseat of a car. And like some dudes pulled up on the side of us and my man let off a shot at them. So, you know, no snitching. Yeah. So we all went to jail. Yeah. And um I got arrested from high school. I was going to Scrapford High School at the time. I got arrested. And then when I got out, um, when I got out, maybe I think I, I started to try to work some odd jobs. And I think I tried to work at industrial acoustics, maybe. I don't remember the exact timeline, but I, I started selling dope like around that same same time frame, yep. you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like it was yeah. like around 97, 90, 98 maybe. Yep. And I then I, I think I stopped when I got my internship at radio. Really, that's what like stopped 99. it? 99, yeah, I had that's like great. two, three years of drug selling. Yeah, and what like, before that fighting and you said your friend shot at a car, like all that stuff was just going on all around you before that? Oh, 100%. So that was just life? Oh yeah, Monk's Corner was wild for the night. People, yeah. people think that it don't go down in those small towns, that's where it goes down yeah. at, you know what I mean? Like you had dudes that were in Monk's Corner making hundreds of thousands of dollars from the dope game, yeah. you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 it was really going down. It was everything that you would think any big city trapping would look like. Yeah. It was looking like that in Monk's Corner. People was getting shot, they were getting shot at, people were getting robbed. Yeah. You know, you had the big dope boys riding around in the in the big cars and all of that shit. Yeah. I never was one of those guys. I, I used to hang around yeah. all of those guys, but I was never more than a a half ounce yeah. type of guy. But did you did you ever want to get like when you started dealing drugs? Did you ever think that would be a path you would take to that level, or did you always know like I'm just doing this for now? Um, for me, it was more so like, why am I hanging around all these hustlers and? not doing what they doing. Yeah. Like it was just pointless, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I remember, you know, my man, God bless the dead, you know, um, Jarrell, like he he put a $100 slab in my hand and said, man, get some money. Mm -hmm. Like you hear all you hear all day, like you just hanging around for. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's what happened. Like so that $100 slab turned into me and eventually buying my own quarter spoons, which is, you know, seven grams, you know, you spend $250, you're supposed to make $100 off each gram, but you never really make $700 off it. You make mm -hmm. more like 500, five, 600 maybe. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I did that for a while. And then the most I ever got to was like a half ounce. So it was more so, I was a product of my environment. It was more so um, association, you yeah. know what I mean? Than anything. Yeah. Cause I didn't have to, I didn't have to do that. My mom was a 
English teacher, you know, my father, he he did construction and my father actually sold dope too. And he had his, his problems with drugs and alcohol as well. He was in and out of rehab, you know, when, when I was younger. So I didn't have to do mm -hmm. what I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was just the people I was hanging out with. And through that whole process, did you still keep that like, I'm going to go on to bigger, better things one day mentality? Or did you, did, was there ever a period when you felt like maybe that was going to be your life? Nah, we always, um, we, we know, I mean, you have those moments where you like, oh, okay, I can sell quarter spoons for the rest of my life and make $600 a week and yeah. be okay. But, you know, that's just dumb young thinking. But I always thought bigger and better because me and my man Jarrell used to want to rap. Yeah. You know, so me and my man Jarrell used to write rhymes, you know, and we used to, you know, we we went to the radio station. Uh, it had a radio station in Charleston called 100.9. Like, we actually went to the radio station to freestyle and stuff like that. So it was things that we were considering taking real seriously you know yeah. um i i i went on to like you know get get involved with the radio station and then i started meeting like other people who were you know had local studios in south carolina like it was one studio in particular called tnt records yeah you know they had an artist by the name of infinity the ghetto child it was owned by um a a, a guy named uh it was tabby and tyrone and um i think yeah calvin and um, they, it was just dope, you know what I mean? And we used to go there and record, but I think at that time, Jarrell was locked up. He was in jail, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. So I was out still moving and, yeah. you know, thinking in that manner, but he he was locked up at the time. Yeah, he definitely was locked up at that time because I remember uh, Scrap died in 2001, 2002 maybe. I'm so bad with dates, man. I don't remember. You're I don't pretty remember. good. I mean, the I'm way so, you remember yeah, names yeah, and shit, you're yeah. pretty good. I remember people, but I'm so bad with dates, but I do remember him, I think it was 2001. Got it. Yeah, he was locked up then, because I remember going to the wake, and um, Drell was in handcuffs. Like, you know, they let him come come to the wake, but he was yeah. still in the county uniform, I mean, in the jail uniform with handcuffs on. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, we always, we had dreams. It's not like we were just sitting around, like, yo, we're going to sell crack for the rest of our life. Like, we wanted to be... Yeah. Big time rappers, I guess. Like I remember being locked up and writing down Bad Boys roster for nineteen ninety seven and putting my name down and putting Jarrell's rap name, which was uh international, yeah. putting his name down as 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 you know, on like as bad boy artist for ninety seven. So yeah. that was kinda like a vision board in a way. That's funny. It's funny that a lot of people I talked to like early on, like had vision boards or like affirmations, but they didn't yeah. know what they were. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like they were visualizing shit before they even knew that was like a practice. Exactly. It's so good. I got Wolverine tattooed on my arm holding a microphone in his hand. When did you get that? When I was freaking like 18, 19. That's amazing. I you. And I didn't even know. I was like, okay, I'm a rap. Yeah. Like in my mind, the mic represented oh, so rap. I got it. You know what I'm saying? Look how trash that is. Dude named T. Willis did that. Where's the microphone? See the mic right there? Uh-uh. <laughs> the mic right there. And that's because you were going to be the Wolverine of rap? Yeah. That's so good. And I thought I was going to be a rapper, but the microphone ended up representing this. Yeah, who would have thought? You know, broadcasting. Yeah. You know? I didn't know. I, but at the time, I was like, yo, I know micro. I knew a microphone was going to change my life. Put yeah. it like that. That was that, that. When I look back on it now, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, a microphone was going to change my life. Yeah. Let me ask you this too. Did you find, would you say that you, not to make this cheesy, but did you sort of find broadcasting or did broadcasting find you? You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, I would say I found broadcasting yeah. because, you know, it got it got to a point in my life where I really started listening to my father and my father would always say, in order to change your life, 
you got to change your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So when I stopped all the bullshit I was doing in the streets mm -hmm. and I started working a bunch of odd jobs and I had like two and three jobs at once. I did telemarketing at a place called Paragon Solutions. I was the guy who would call your house and try to sell you 10 CDs for a penny, courtesy yeah. of BMG. Yeah. I worked at a clothing store in the mall called Demo. Um, salute to Nikki, Nikki Collins. You know, she hired me and um, she, we follow each other on Instagram. I love Nikki. I don't, I haven't talked to her in forever, but she just was one of those people you never forget. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, and then where else did I work? Oh, where else did I work? Where else did I work? Demo at the mall, telemarketing. Oh, the internship. So that's how I ended up getting the internship at the radio station because I used to, uh, I was at TNT when I first met this guy. His name was Willie Will. Uh -huh. And then we'd be at, or maybe I met Will at Never So Deep Studios first. I don't remember. But I think I met Will at one of those recording studios and I just asked him, how did he get in the radio? Because he was a local radio personality. Yeah. And I just asked him, like, Yo, how'd you get in the radio? And he was like, I went down there and I got an internship. And I'm like, it's that easy? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, y'all gotta be in college or nothing? Yeah. And he was like, nah. And so I went down there and filled out the internship papers and I got an internship. Uh -huh. So I started off as an intern at, you know, Z93 Jams. And um, What's that mean? Like what type of stuff were you doing? Uh, getting, the, getting the Jock's Pizza, yep. you know, going to the different remotes and helping them set up their remotes, putting posters up, driving the station vehicle, the different remotes, just like, that's it, you yeah. know, re regular intern duties. And then um, um, I was a little different because I could get weed for people, Yeah, you know, because I still had a hand in the streets. So I could yeah. get weed for people and stuff like that. And so they liked having me around, Yeah, you know, like you, you give a jock weed one time, like, hey, man, here's some weed. Hey, yeah, you know what? I like you, <laughs> You're man. You're my favorite you, intern. Where's Charlemagne at? <laughs> yeah. you know, like, can Charlemagne drive me to this remote and stuff yeah. like that? So I used to just be around all the time. And um, eventually my man, Ron White, he was like, yo, man, you should, um, you ever thought about being on the radio? Because I used to go in uh, to Willie Will's show, you know, because Willie Will was teaching me how to run the board, and I would just, he'd open up the microphone and let me talk, so I'd just be in there talking, and Ron was like, yo, man, yo, you should be on the air. You ever thought about being on the air? And I was like, no, but I am now. Yeah. And so that's when I started doing the voice tracking I was telling you yeah. about. Yeah. That's the part of it. That's kind of what I was getting at, is the part of it that I think is so cool is like you, okay, one thing I, I, I see a lot is people pick one dream, when they're super young mm -hmm. and they kind of, it's that or nothing, right? It's like that or like life's unfair. Mm. And it just sounds like what you were able to do was like know that you wanted to be on a big stage, know that you had something to give to the world, but like be open to what came your way. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, I agree with you 100%, but also I am that type of person. I will play with the cards I'm dealt, mm -hmm. but I always felt like I only had one thing to Mm -hmm. um, I was willing to do whatever though, meaning that if life had dealt me the hand of working at a warehouse, mm -hmm. I would have worked at that warehouse. Mm -hmm. I would have found, I would have provided for my family in that way. Mm -hmm. If I would have had to work at demo in the mall, I'll provide for my family mm -hmm. in that way, you know. But radio was the was the path, and radio was the thing that was a passion of mine. Yeah. It was that thing that I just knew this is what I want to do yeah. with my life. I, I just remember being in the radio station doing overnights 12 midnight to 6 in the morning and saying to myself, yo, if I do radio, I want to do it on that level. Yeah. You know, so I was looking at the Angie Martinez's and the Tom Joyner's and the Doug Banks and the Sways and the Big Boys, the Big Tigger. Like, yeah. I was like, I want to be one of them. Yeah. Wendy Williams, you know, starring Buck Wild. I was like, yo, if I'm going to do radio, I want to be on that level. Yeah. Because those motherfuckers, are, they got personalities. And they being, it seems like they being themselves, 
and they popping. Yeah. Like that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I just kind of got bit with that bug and and you know drama. I didn't go to college. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't Me have neither. any degrees. Yeah. You know, so this is all I got. Yeah. When you talk about all or nothing, like this is what that's what I had was was radio. Yeah. I get it. And then did you Take me through, I think this is what you, you you mentioned, but like take me through then how you went from intern, like what was the process at that particular station? Ooh, okay. Well, I started off as an intern uh-huh. um, and then the internship program actually got uh, cut off. They let, they let go of all the interns because at the time, the promotions director there had got into what we would now call a Me Too yep. Time's Up situation mm-hmm. with one of the interns. Yep. So they deaded the whole program. <laughs> yeah. And then um, it's this guy named Haji, man. And I'm still looking for Haji. I don't know where Haji is. I don't know if Haji is dead, if he's alive. I've talked about him in my book. I've shouted him out. I just want to talk to Haji because Haji took over the promotions director position. He was a gay man. And Haji uh, hired me as the new promotions director mm-hmm. i mean not the new promotion director he hired me in promotions at z93 jams like i remember calling the radio station just to say yo man you know when y'all bringing the internship program back and haji was like who is this and i said this is lenard mckelvey and i'm like charlemagne and he was like i i, I hear so much about you like because all the jocks used to talk <laughs> about me you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah. he was like i hear so much about you he was like well, come come down here so i went down so he gave me an actual job uh-huh. So basically, I was still doing intern duties. Yeah. I was just now in the promo department. And yeah. Haji was just so cool, man, because that was like the first gay person that I ever worked with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was like, I wasn't used to that. Mm-hmm. But he was just cool. So it kind of like opened my mind up to people are just people Yeah. at the end of the day. It's not that I had any, you know, problems with gay people, but, you know, I grew up in the 90s yeah. when... People used to really frown upon homosexuality, even in the music, you know what I'm saying? You yeah. had Ghostface saying, men marrying men, ill. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, had, you had Eminem like- Oh, Eminem. Like, just, oh my, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like, I, I, just, I didn't know anything about it, but just riding around with him every day and listening to him talk, he was just a funny ass dude. And I found his stories of trying to get laid in Charleston, yeah. South Carolina, a gay man in Charleston, South oh, Carolina, I can't this imagine. red state, yeah. I just found his story so funny. And he would always tell me, like, I just pay him. I pay him $250 per head, $500 per penetration. <laughs> and I just thought that shit was so funny. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm probably telling all Haji business, fuck. But anyway, I would love to see Haji. Yeah. I don't know where he is now, but um, it's just like he hired me. So when he hired me, that's how I was in the radio station. And yeah. then you know, sitting around with guys like Willie Will and, you know, being with Baby J and Tessa and whoever else, Ron White was just like, yo, you should be on the air. So yeah. he started putting me on the air voice tracking 11 to 3 on Sunday mornings. That worked because that's when I got the confirmations from the Tessa and it was another guy named Reggie C who worked there who both told me I sounded great, but I was scaring all the church folk. My energy was too much for Sunday morning. So yeah. then he, Ron was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have you voice track 7 to 10 on Saturdays, but then from 10 to 12, you're gonna go live. And we used to call it Club 93 from 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. And like, yo, going live from 10 to 12 really kind of started the Charlemagne you all know and love now. Yeah. Because it was it was all, it was all, you know, I was always myself voice tracking and I would always start to show off with like, this like crazy monologue kind of, like just almost on some positive motivation, powerful, 
I'm here to conquer the world type <laughs> shit. I'm the Allen Iverson of radio. That's why I'm the Allen Iverson of radio because the league can't stand my image, but they got no choice but to respect my game. And then I would go into like some hard ass record like Beanie Siegel, The Truth. So I would like set the tone. Yeah. And then when we started going live 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. to midnight, it was just phone calls yeah. and me fucking with people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. me just talking shit and everybody talking shit and it just kind of like took off from there. And then that's when Hot 98.9 came into the market and Hot 98.9 started to hear me. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was like, yo, that dude is wild for the night. And then I was really on some like, Street shit. Everything was about the streets. Like everything was. I'm from the streets. I'm the gutter. I'm ghetto, gutter, grimy. Like, cause I really was, yeah. you know. So all of that was like that. And then you'd have those guys on the other station talking about he ain't from no fucking streets. You know what I'm saying? Like yada 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 this and that. And I was stupid. I would do stuff like go pull up on these people. And, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm like I don't know who the fuck you think I am, but yeah. I ain't no punk. Right? It was just it was really dumbass hood posturing. I probably could have got my ass kicked a lot of times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just, you know, caught these caught these guys at the right time when it was just every time. Every time was the I would go to their places. Yeah. Like and it was just stupid. Yeah. And um High Ninety Eight Nine was a beautiful situation, man. I gotta thank my man George Cook. He does he does uh like I said he's the operations manager at K one oh four in Dallas. And yeah. he was like, I want you to have a morning show at night. So that's when I had like features. I'd have like eight o'clock yeah, so yeah. it'd be like hot ninety eight nine holla if you're hating and people would just call in hating. Just hating on shit. Hating on shit. Like just ha I mean hating anything, anything, <laughs> anything. People was getting in fights at schools and yeah. all kind of shit. Yeah. And then I do like lyrical warfare at nine o'clock where I'd have people just call in and rap live, and they'd be cursing and I'd just be hanging up on them all oh, your whack and I had this drop called Babonki and you are Babonki, Babonki, Babonki <laughs> and everybody used to be laughing at that and then at 11 o'clock I would turn around and do The Quiet Storm. I do Charlemagne the God Thug Love Status uh, where I play number slow songs. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I played slow songs from 11 to 12 and then end with some motivation at the end of the night. That's so good. Yeah. So you were always Charlemagne, man. Always Charlemagne and got fired for being Charlemagne. All at that time. station? I got fired from Hot 98.9. I got fired. I took that station. I think this, when I got there, the night show was number 14. Then it jumped to number two in the ratings. And um, they fired me. They fired, and and I I've never asked George this though. I gotta ask. I, I think they they fired him first, Big Geo. They fired George first because he wouldn't fire me because there was a consultant named Michael Newman who hated me. And you For know that, what? You don't know why? Yeah, I know why. He thought that I just sounded terrible. Yeah. And that was a very humbling experience for me because I was so arrogant at that time. Mm -hmm. Like I was super arrogant. Like I was, because you gotta think I'm from. South Carolina, I'm from Monk's Corner. I'm 20 minutes from Charleston. I was born in Charleston. Yeah. So I was doing radio in Charleston. So oh, you, yeah. you got the class clown, disruptive kid who's now on the radio getting paid to be the class clown, yeah. disruptive kid. So I was always pretty cool. Like I was always had, I always had a popularity, you know, about me. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it's like now this guy's on the radio. Yeah. So we was going to the clubs 10, 15 deep. Yeah. You know, I used to have mad girls in and out the station. I used to be on the mic saying, those white people downstairs don't give a damn about me. You know what I mean? Because I was like, I was, I was, I was, I would listen to like Star and Buck and all of those guys back then. And I, yeah. I used to love how, how bold they were. Yeah. So I thought I could be just as bold, yeah. you know? And it's just like, they fired me. I remember they, they fired Big George and then they brought in a new program director named Corey Hill. And Corey was just like, you know, 
you know, you got to change everything about you. Like he got rid of all my features. You know, the guy Michael Newman was like, yo, he's just he's yelling at people, and he was right. Yeah. At the time, I was like, this motherfucker don't know what the fuck he talking about. White dude from Dallas telling me how to talk to my people in Charleston. But at at the time, he was absolutely right. When I look back, I was yelling. I'd be on the Charlemagne the God, Hot ninety eight nine, High Lift, you hating? Like I was always <laughs> screaming. I was. I was wild. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, I remember they let my, they let Tracy Cloherty hear my air check in New York. And I was like, oh, she's going to love me. She's going to bring me to New York. I'm going to stay middle finger to all of y'all and I'm going to win. That's not what happened. They was like, this guy sounds terrible. He's horrible. The best oh, part man. of the show is the thug love when he's actually just talking to people. Yeah. And that was the advice that they gave me. Like, yo, you just, we just want to have a conversation with people. Yeah. You're yelling at people. Learn how to have a conversation. And, you know, I didn't grasp that until later on in my yeah. radio career. That's what I was gonna ask is did you take that advice? Not at the time. Because I feel like when you're young and like shit's going well, you're like Nah, not at the time. That was yeah. my first taste of like celebrity. Like yeah. I remember going to a club called The Nightlife in King Street, South Carolina, and they had my name on the marquee. And Charlemagne the yeah. God. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. And then when I got out there, they was really acting like I was somebody. Yeah. Like they was like acting like I was a like I was really Popping, yeah. And this girl was like, "Yo, I'm gonna do anything you tell me to do." Yeah. She said that verbally. I'm gonna do anything Charlamagne the God yeah, tells me. When you first experienced that, that was my, yeah, that's my oh. first groupie action. Like, yeah. She fucked the whole team. Really? Yeah. You know, what just I'm off saying? of your fame, off of my fame. See, that's so, what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, is so, when you get that first, I always ask people that too because it's always like that first like blow up or that mm -hmm. first level where you're just like it's never like that again it's almost like drug in my opinion yeah. it's almost like drugs in the sense of or what people say about drugs in the sense of like that first feeling when yeah. you first start getting money or fame or whatever it is like you'll never really match that again nah and you know i mean don't get me wrong we treated her great that weekend like you know because this is all a bunch of dope boys i was still yeah. hanging around all my dope boyfriends they was buying her stuff and you know i but and then i remember taking her with me and she like she was trying to make money, so she was giving people half of money and all kind of shit. So it's yeah. like I looked like the man because yeah. I'm like, yo, this dude Charlemagne not only has the most popping radio show in the city, yeah. he is pimping. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even though I wasn't really pimping, it just yeah. seemed like that. Yeah. And it's like God humbled my black ass. And when that was when you got fired? That's the first time I got fired, and 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 that's that's that is I've been fired four times from radio. That station right there, Hot 98.9. I've always been so self aware that I knew I got fired from that station because I was misusing my platform. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? And that's what humbled you, you're saying? I think so. Yeah. I think so. That, that, that's what made me realize, like, yo, it's power in this microphone. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be using it just to get pussy, yeah. you know, it's, and, and it's not going to go well for me. And, yeah. you know, I think that God made me, God took me away from that situation to, to humble me, teach me a lesson. And then, you know, I was doing A&R work with Never So Deep Records, who I got to give so much credit to. My man, Dr. Robert Evans and his son, DJ Bless, you know, they they like family, family to me to this day. And I mean, I, I love them so much because they kind of like just took me in when I really needed it. Like yeah. I didn't need to be back in Monk's Corner around my hood dudes. That wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't have worked out well. I yeah. needed a different level of discipline. Yeah. You know, I needed to... Um, I needed to evolve. And by, mind you, I had been rocking with Never So Deep since I had first started as D93 yeah. and all through Hot 98.9. But I'm talking about at that point when I had gotten fired because from Z9, I left Z93 to go to Hot 98.9. So I had had a radio job for a couple years yeah. until I had got fired. Uh -huh. And then when I got fired, you know, a lot of times, man, people only fuck with you because of the position you're in. Yeah. 
You know, Never So Deep didn't do that. Yeah. Never So Deep was like, no, this is our brother. You know what I mean? Dr. Robert Evans treated me like a son. Yeah. Still treats me like a son. And like, you know, he's he's a he's a like a hundredth degree black belt in Jitsu. Mm -hmm. And he's a retired NYPD police officer. So he's very disciplined. Mm -hmm. So he was PTS. He'd have us praying all the time, you know what I mean? Training, eating right. Like he was really just preparing me for that next level. And um I did a, a CD called Charlemagne the God Concrete Champ, the radio show which was all Never So Deep's artists. And it was me, I had it structured like a radio show. Mm -hmm. And um, I put this out and I put it out. I put out like maybe a thousand copies throughout South Carolina. I really just sent it to all the radio stations and a program director named Mike Love heard it. And Mike Love hired me to do radio at the Big DM in Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's like an hour and a half from um, Charleston. And that worked out for me so well because my wife had well, my now wife, she started going to the University of South Carolina, mm -hmm. and that was my longtime girlfriend. So now I had a reason to be in Columbia every weekend, not just because of her, but because I was doing radio yeah. on the Big DM in Columbia. And um, I started doing radio. You want me to keep going with the story? I can keep going. Yeah, keep going. All right, so I'll I, just I'll just interrupt you if I had like you. a particular. So, because let me ask you this too: mm -hmm. when you did you walk into that new gig? Did you feel like with a new? new mindset or yes. were you was there still a little bit of the old stuff or nah, like? i had a totally new mindset yeah um i wasn't in the hood you know dr robert evans had my mind all the way right yeah i understood the power of the platform i understood the magnitude of being on the radio in columbia because i always had love columbia because we used to go to uh assemblies there <clears throat> my mother was jehovah witness yeah. so we used to go to the assemblies in columbia south carolina um, Columbia is a college town, mm -hmm. so you got the University of South Carolina, you got Benedict College, you got Allen, you got Columbia College, you got neighboring towns like Orangeburg that got South Carolina State and Claflin. So you got, you know, Big Dam is a hundred thousand watt station, so you have so much ears. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> they put me on Thursday through Sunday. No, yeah, Thursday night through Sunday night. So I was on like ten to two on Thursdays. 10 to t 7 to midnight on Friday, 7, I mean, no, 10 to 2 on Thursdays, 10 to 2 on Friday, 7 to midnight on Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, thanks to George, I realized how to really structure a radio show. So I had new features by the time I got there. I had like Dr. Shaw, a ghetto psychiatrist, where I would, <laughs> you know, stage these bits where I would have people, you know, ask me the craziest life advice and I'd give them like, solutions to it it'd be like crazy stories like this guy's in love with his dog <laughs> and i structured it to make it seem like oh yo ain't nothing wrong being gay you know what i'm saying it's cool you can be in love with your dog you know what i mean you know, I have to, like, you, know you call your homeboy your dog yeah. but he was really fucking a dog yeah you know and, and you just, made up the you you made up the question or that was a real question i would make up the question yeah yeah, okay. yeah i'd make up okay. the question stage the bits and I, i'd do some real ones too but like for the big finale yeah it'd always be something i made up and I did Dr. Charlotte Ghetto Psychiatrist. I did Hate O'Clock, but Mike Love told me that's too negative. I need to cut that. And I was like, all right, cool. And um, like I really, I really popped off in Columbia. Mm -hmm. The reason I really popped off in Columbia is because, you know, of the features, but also celebrity interviews. Yeah. Cause, you know, we didn't really get access to artists like that in Charleston. Like the first but my first interview ever at Z93 Jams in Charleston was fabulous. Uh -huh. And then my second interview, live interview was Fabulous. Fabulous was actually in studio. My second interview was Little John over the phone. Yeah. And I never had a problem asking people those real. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, were you doing the same style of interview then? Like the real. Yeah, because I'm a fan at the end of the day. Yeah. So I had questions. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I remember asking Little John, why the fuck are you acting like the Confederate flag is is, is is like something noble. Like why, and he, he went through the whole thing like, yo, you know, 
we repurposing it the same way we repurposed the N-word. Yeah, yeah, like the same shit that Kanye is saying now, yeah. Lil John was saying back then, and anybody act like he wasn't is lying. Yeah. A lot yeah. of guys were. A lot of dudes were taking the Confederate flag and making it red, black, and green, yeah. trying to repurpose it. Yeah. So um, in Colombia, I, I remember interviewing T.I. You know, on the big DM. T.I. was in between record labels. You know, he had just gotten dropped from LaFace, and he was... Um, pushing the single 24s, it was on white label, on CD. Mm -hmm. You know, T.I. was in there with the dirty, great champion hoodie, like still fresh, looking like he fresh off the block, yeah. you know? Um, and then I interviewed a, quite a few people at the Big DM, but I remember uh, the Big DM actually flipped formats. So they went from being the hip hop and R&B station. They, they started off as the Urban AC station before I got there, flipped the hip hop and R&B to try to take out the competitive hip hop and R&B station, Hot 1039. They did that, then they flipped back to Urban AC. The reason they flipped back is because the company, Inner City Broadcasting, after Big DM beat Hot 1039, bought Hot 1039. Uh -huh. So when they bought Hot 1039, now mind you, Hot 1039 was the popping station before Big DM flipped formats. Mike Love was just such a good program director, he knew how to take them out. Yeah. But Hot 1039 was the station that you really wanted to be on. Yeah. They had people like my man Pizzo Coconuts, who I used to love. You know, like they were the station, Big Sexy. So they ended up moving me the Hot 1039. Mm -hmm. And I remember Big Sexy saying, this is the equivalent of Bill Goldberg joining the WWE. <laughs> I remember him saying that on the air and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like they look at me like that. Yeah. And so like Hot 1039 is where, like why I really took off because I started utilizing the internet and you know, Big Sexy used to have me on his show every night and I had my own show called Charlemagne the God's Concrete Jungle, which I started on the Big DM, yeah. and it just became a thing. Like for whatever reason, I started landing like great interviews. Like Mob, I interviewed Mob Deep. You know what that I'm saying? Both ago? of them in Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, I, I got to find all these old air checks, man. Dang. I interviewed, you know, Memphis Bleak, and it was a, a great interview because I was like really fucking with him about, you know, you know, being being in Jay Z's shadow. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like asking him wild dumb shit, like yo, how is, is it cool in the shadow of Jay Z's nuts? Like stupid shit like that. And it was Bleak and the Young Guns all in the studio at one time. They could have oh, they, they fucked me up. But Bleak was such a good sport. But that interview got deleted. And I remember Big Sexy was like, "Yo, where's the interview?" I'm like, "I don't know. I thought I recorded it." Yeah. And he was like, "Yo, we got to say something." So it was like, "Yo, oh, it um, never even aired." Never aired. Ah, oh, shit. So you got to think, this is before social media. This is before cameras in the studio and stuff. So we got on the air and Big Sexy was like, yo, Charlamagne and Memphis Bleak just got into a fight. <laughs> and just left it at that. <laughs> got, they just got into a fight. Chains were snatched. I don't know. I just saw Charlamagne around here with a Rockefeller chain. <laughs> we didn't realize it was going to blow up in that way. Like it blew up so much that all hip hop put it on their rumor report. You know what I'm saying? And then it was like coincidence that Rockefeller started the Chain Remains campaign after that. Damn, but from that? No, it was because Jay and Dame had broke up. Ah. So Jay had took a set of artists, but Jay was like the Chain Remains. Like, I guess, you know, Rockefeller remains with yeah, me. Yeah. But in South Carolina, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Charlamagne yeah. took the chain. Oh man. And it was just so stupid. And it was just like all, like those type of Buffy the Body came in and, I was basically being honest with Buffy, like, yo, don't you want to be known for more than your body? Don't you want to be known for, like, your brain? Like, yeah. what happens when you get older and, you know, you start to lose your looks? And yeah. she passed him, I'm going to go get more butt shots. <laughs> she threw CDs at me and walked out. And, like, Wendy Williams spoke about that. You know what I mean? Like, Wendy Williams spoke about that on her show. Yeah. Because Wendy was doing 
Wendy was syndicated on Hot 103.9 because Inner City right. Broadcasting owned WBLS in New York too. So Wendy used to be the afternoon show on Hot 103.9. So right. her producers were hearing about me and she was shouting me out. And then, yeah. you know, she would come down to the market, her and her husband, and like we just showed them the utmost love. You know right. what I mean? Like we, same thing, get them weed, get them, you know, they buy us bottles in the club. We'd hold them down, take them from club to club. Yeah. And we just built a rapport with each other. And um, and was that, can I ask you real quick, was that all like, that was obviously before YouTube and all that stuff, right? So this was all on like getting posted on blogs? Blogs, message got boards. It, got it. And message so is board. that when you start, do you think you started to connect at that time to like the power of like your angle, like a real honest, blunt interview and where that could go? Yeah, but I was, I mean, I, I honestly was just being me. I enjoyed it, just like I enjoy it to this day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I just enjoyed talking to these people like they were just regular people. Yeah. It was like an never... ego, it was an ego boost to me. Like, yeah. cause my father used to always say to me, motherfuckers put their pants on just like you. Yeah. Like they yeah. shit stinks just like you. If you don't believe it, wipe your ass and smell it. Your shit stinks and so does that. So I just used to get a rise out of just talking to people yeah. the same way we would talk on the block. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. we do. Like you ain't nobody special. And I remember, I remember Trey Songs coming there, and Trey Songs and his people saying, "You need to be in New York, man. You got that star and buck shit." I remember Freeway coming there and saying, "Nigga, you like a male Wendy Williams." Like I remember all of that type of shit. Like, and by the way, my man DJ Chuck T, he has a CD that we made back in the day called Charlemagne the God's Concrete Jungle Volume One, mm -hmm. and it was all these moments. Cause at that time I was recording everything, yeah. so that those moments were on there. Yeah. So I, I got all those moments on a CD. So you still have it all. Yeah, Chuck Somewhere. T has Chuck T put it out. Like it's it's out. Like I I gotta I gotta find it. That's years ago, but I gotta find it. That's literally like fifteen years ago. But That's I have so all of that type of stuff. You should release that in like podcast form or something, like Charlemagne classic interviews. I should right. Yeah. Cause you I just should. do a podcast with anything now. I should. Um, okay, so then did you get fired from that radio station also? Big DM flip formats, went to Hot 103.9. Me and Wendy built a rapport. Got a note that the first time I met Wendy, I walked into the studio and I was all hype. I had mad mixtapes of mine and you know parody songs I wanted to hear her to hear. And she told me to get the fuck out of this studio while she's trying to do her show. She said, get the fuck out of here with that mixtape shit. She said, take that mixtape shit to my husband. I could have been disappointed, could have been offended. I said, well, where's your husband? <laughs> she said, he's in the hall, over there in the office. Yeah. I went right across the hall. Oh, what's up, man? My name's Charlemagne. Here's my mixtapes, blah, blah, blah. And me and him started a conversation because on the front of the tape, I had a tape called Hate is Necessary. Yeah. And on the front, it was Bill O'Reilly, Wendy Williams, and me. And he said to me, the fuck you trying to say my wife's a hater? I said, no, I'm saying that we live in an era where people when you tell somebody the truth, they say you're hating. Mm -hmm. So truth is necessary. So if truth is necessary, then hate must be necessary too. He looked at me, he was like, I like that. <laughs> I like that, I like that. So that's how we built the rapport. Uh -huh. But um, I used to enjoy listening to Wendy in the afternoon, but my then program director, nobody else liked Wendy in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Like everybody at the station hated that shit. Mm -hmm. Like they was like, my program director used to do afternoons. He was mad that they moved his spot and he Wendy was on. So they would always constantly complain yeah. about Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. So eventually, NSC Broadcast was like, all right, keep her on, just move her at 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So they moved her 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. But they would just rerun the same show every fucking day. Yeah. So I called Wendy's husband one time, like, yo, what's up with this show? And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, yo, they keep rerunning the same show over and over and over. And he was like, what? 
He's like, yo, I'm coming down there. So he came down there for the weekend. He heard it for himself. Went back up to New York, raised hell. A couple weeks later, um, I get demoted. Reason I got demoted is because I was getting sued by a local nightclub in Columbia. Reason I was getting sued is because it was always an urban legend that the guy who ran the club was putting date rape drug in girls' drinks and mm -hmm. taking advantage of them. We never could prove it mm -hmm. until one time this young lady actually pressed charges against him. Guy got arrested. Police came to search his house. They actually found date rape drug and, and drinks in his crib. Mm -hmm. And so I took his mugshot, put it up on my MySpace page. <laughs> and I was like, yo, we need to be very aware of what's going on at this guy's club. Look what this dude got arrested for. You know, we can still keep frequenting this club. Uh, we need to make a stand and be like, yo, we're not attending this club no more because of what he's doing to women. Yeah. And so this guy sues me. Even what, defamation of character or something? But yeah, but there was no defamation yeah. because it was all actual and factual. Yeah. I didn't make any yeah. of this shit up. And so the radio station settles with this guy for $2,000. Demote me to one day a week. Now, I was in line to actually be the full-time night guy because I was still only part-time because yeah. me and Big Sexy used to do the show together. Then Big Sexy left to go to Atlanta. Me and my homegirl Venom started doing the show together. And so they was either going to give me or Venom the show together because they used to do this thing called the Hot Boys. So they was going to either keep us doing the show together or give one of us the night show. Um, they ended up giving it to this dude from out of town um, because because of that situation. Like yeah. I, I ended up getting demoted one day a week. So when I, when Kev heard about it, I think Venom or somebody told Kev, Kev thought I got demoted because of me. Snitching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was like, man, come to New York. You know, we having a party. So flew to New York, me, my homeboy DJ Frosty. Um, we flew to New York and when we got to New York, we went to the party and in the party that night, Wendy was like, yo, come on my show tomorrow. She was like, Charlamagne, what's up? Come on my show tomorrow. You can't tell me shit like that. I don't give a fuck if you're drunk. I don't give a fuck if you're high. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> you're not, there. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. So the, I'm, yo, Kev, Wendy said, yo, she want me to come on the show tomorrow. You're like, all right, all right. Calling Kev all the next day. Kev, when do you want me to come on the show? When do you want me to come on the show? When, when should I go? When should I go? He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's like, all right, go up there right now. I went up there. I was there for like 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I just went in there and was was me. You were on the air for 25 minutes. 25 minutes, minutes with yeah. Wendy. I was me to the utmost of my ability. You know, and that night, Kev was like, yo, Wendy wants to make the transition to television. You know what I'm saying? We about to start doing a lot of TV shit. You know, she wants somebody that's from radio, that's edgy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you the perfect person. We don't want no comedian. You know, we wanted a radio person. I, I had tried a couple comedians before, but we don't want that. We want, you know, somebody that's from radio. And, you know, she thinks it's you. All right. Uh-huh. Can't pay you though. We can give you a place to stay. Cool. Yeah. In New York. In New York. Yeah. Nah, but she gave they gave me a place to stay in Jersey. And the reason I took that position is because I recognize opportunity when it's not a paycheck attached to it. Yeah. You know, so that's I, a tough one for a lot of people too. It is, but I ain't got shit to lose. No. Like I said, I don't got no degrees. I didn't have no kids at the time. I mean, just my girl. You know, and my mindset was if she if we meant to be together. Then we'll be together in the future. Yeah. We together now. Been yeah. together 20 years. Three kids later, you know, been married five years, you know, after being together 20. So I think we're doing all right. Yeah. So I left, um, went went there and did Wendy, worked there illegally for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, finally got put on payroll. And they got fired from there in 2008. Got fired. What did you get fired from there for? I think it was a it was a mixture of things, man. It was um 
At the time, my homegirl, Nicole Spence, she was Wendy's booker slash assistant. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she too, was like one of the original Me Too mm-hmm. Time's Up people. And she she um, pressed, she did a lawsuit against Wendy's husband, mm-hmm. you know, for sexual harassment and, you know, creating a hostile work environment. And, um, you know, she wasn't lying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Yeah. She wasn't lying. And she, 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 ended up getting a settlement and we they ended up firing they ended up firing Wendy's whole team except for like the board up but they also fired like 15 other people that day yeah. just from WBLS inner city broadcasting in general yeah. so you got to remember in 2008 the the uh, the, uh, the economy was fucked up mm-hmm. So that was just like an excuse to be able to clear yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And plus, like you know, at the time it was a new rating system that was in place called uh, the PPM, uh-huh. and like Wendy's numbers had went from like number one to number twenty, even though the PPM was bullshit. Yeah, just like it was just a new rating system. Like you, you, we know she didn't lose that much listenership. It's just the way that they tracked ratings was bullshit at the yeah. time. It's it's leveled out now. Yeah. But back then it didn't. So she was already like, "Fuck it, I'm about to go to TV anyway, man." Got it. And so they got rid of me. They fired me then. And I was out of radio for like eight, nine months. You know, what did you do? What do you do when you're in New York? I played daddy daycare because my daughter was born June of that year. So you went back home? No, I stayed in Jersey. My wife had a job. In Jersey? And my wife had a job in New York, but we lived in got Jersey. It, got it, got it, got it. So I just, you know, stayed at home playing daddy daycare, which I love because, you know, to this day, me and my daughter have such a great bond. You know yeah. what I'm saying? My daughter's 10 now. But I think it's we have we have such a bond because of I was the one changing the diapers and feeding her, you know, early on yeah. and singing to her, playing Ghostface, featuring music, Soul Child, Love, because yeah. he used to make her go to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that's my heart, you know. And we both cancers. Like her birthday is two days before mine, so yeah. I like I, that's my that's my my my, my heart. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I hate yeah. to say I got a favorite daughter. But you're saying it. I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but she you built me the longest. Daughters? I had three, a 10-year-old, oh, a three-year-old, and a one-month-old. And you just went on record that you have a favorite. But I mean, at, it's now. But she's been here the longest. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was a hoe in the past life, so I got nothing but girls. <laughs> yeah. So I was at home, and then you know I got the call from 100.3 to beat in Philadelphia, my man um, Johnny. Can I ask you one quick question? Yes, sir. Did you ever, through the first firing when you were really feeling yourself, the Wendy... Uh, Firing. Did you ever question your abilities? Your if you were on the right path? I questioned the first one because I didn't know what was next. Yeah, I'm from Monk's Corner. I was born in Charleston. I lived in Charleston. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like to me, Charleston was the end all be all. I didn't know I could go work in another market. Yeah, and do radio. But so, Wendy, you were more like this was just a victim of circumstance. Wendy was Wendy was hurtful too because that was what got my name on the national conversation. Like yeah. I was on VH1. Like I didn't want to let go of that lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I was on VH1, I was on Wendy every day, and I'm not gonna front, Wendy and her husband had me feeling like like they were they was God. Like yeah. I kind of lost myself Yeah. because I was, I've always been a person of faith and always knowing God had a greater plan for me, but they had me thinking that they were the end all be all. Yeah. Like if if I don't do what they want me to do, then they can snap their fingers yeah. like Thanos and my whole career would be absolutely done. Like yeah. they, that's how they used to threaten me. Like, you know, you'll be frying fish in the morning back in South Carolina, like, yeah. like that kind of shit. So when I got fired, you know, it was like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I kind of just like hit out yeah. at home playing daddy daycare. And yeah. you know, it was good because 
you know, that's when social media came into play because Twitter. Yep. My Good man, look, my man, Lil Duval was like, "Yo, you gotta get on Twitter. You gotta get on Twitter. You ain't no fucking job." It was kind of like Friday, except yeah. the weed, <laughs> except the, the new drug was social media. For real. You ain't got no job. You ain't got shit to do. Get on this Twitter shit. Yeah. So I used to be on Twitter just tweeting, not even knowing that you could interact. Yeah, I read that in the book. Yeah. And then finally one day you saw like, like "Oh, there's a reply." Yeah, I hit the at reply. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. And yeah. then you see, like, it was literally. I remember Angela Yee being one of the first people I saw. Yeah. And Angela Yee saying, asking me to come on our show. Mm-hmm. Where was she at? Was she in New York she at the time? She was on Shade 45. Got she had her own morning show on Shade 45. And I didn't see that. So I was like, yo, I just finally realized how to work this Twitter shit. I'd love to come on your show. So I, I you know, I got to give Angela props. I got to salute her because when I didn't have a radio job, she let me come on her show and just co-host with her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she um, would let me... I remember in particular, she knew I used to give Mims shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And Mims was there one time. She let me call in and just roast Mims. Think about Mims what, just only having one record? or I just used to kill like, yo, you're whack. <laughs> you know, ain't shit hot about you. Like, I just feel like you look like a fucking Mr. Potato Head with no accessories. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, just a fucking potato. Why Mims? Why Mims get on? I don't know, okay. I was an asshole. I, don't, I really don't know. Um, and, and then... um, Tell me about Philly real quick. Yeah, that's how I, I want to get you out of here. So you, you got a haircut. Yeah, that's how I ended up. That's how I ended up getting a job in Philly because you know Philly. Um, you know Philly remembered me from Wendy Williams. Yep. And they called me, and you know Johnny Johnny Glover called me, and it was him and a brother named Elroy Smith and Moshe, and they asked me to come do mornings in Philly. That's how me and Wendy's husband kind of had our first falling out because, you know, I got I took that job in like '09. Yep. Yo, I was just happy to be getting a new job because nobody was hiring people. They had mad hiring freezes at companies all throughout the country. Barack Obama just is in the White House. Yeah, you know they wanted to offer me seventy thousand dollars a year. I never gave a fuck about the money. I just wanted the opportunity, and um, you know I I took that job and he was mad at me because he wanted to get he wanted me to get like a quarter million dollars a year and he wanted me to negotiate the situation. Was he like kind of managing you? Or? Unofficially, okay. you know what I mean? Nothing on paperwork, anything Got like it. that, but unofficially. And I remember, man, you know, like, I'm like, if I go down here with Kev, I'm not going to get this job uh-huh. because I know what type of person he is. You yep. know what I'm saying? He's a, a aggressive, loud, we want 250000 I'm like, yo, I'm not Wendy. I'm Charlemagne. Yeah. You can do that with Wendy because Wendy's Jay-Z. I'm bleak. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm the young gun. Like, ain't nobody giving me that kind of money. I yeah. got to earn my keep. Yeah. And um, I remember taking that job and him getting so mad at me. And I remember Wendy telling me like, he'll get over it. I understand why you did what you did. You was, that's, you, you did the right thing. Go down there and kick ass, he'll get over it. I went down there, kicked ass, he got over it, you know? But I ended up getting fired from there after and eight months. Why'd you get fired from there? Um, They brought in a new program director. His name was Boogie D. Uh-huh. Um, Boogie D just wanted to bring in his own people. Boogie yeah. D was a, it was a dickhead though. Boogie D, I remember, and, and I remember the first time I met Boogie, I said, "What's up? Hey, how are you, man?" He was like, "I mean, you gonna be able to get along?" That's how we started. Yeah, I'm like, "What the fuck is your problem?" <laughs> like, no, bro? clearly not. I don't even know you. Yeah. Like, why would you come off on me like that? So he always used to come off on me in that way. Yeah, I don't know if it's because they told him to come in there and like snap the whip. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is the guy, he don't listen. You know, he's got a reputation. He yeah. might think he's all high and mighty cause he rolls with Wendy. I don't know. Yeah. But that's how that's how his mentality was. And I remember he fired me after eight months. And um, I remember them telling him, they said, look, you fired Charlemagne we don't know why. He's got like the number two, number three show in the city in a PPM market. Mm-hmm. If whatever you do doesn't work, 
we sending you back to St. Louis. Is that what happened? So Boogie started filling in himself, and then he bought in Star and Buck Wild to do mornings in Philly. Mm -hmm. And none of that shit worked. And the radio station doesn't even exist anymore. And they, they moved Boogie D back to St. Louis. Does that feel good, or are you not that petty? Feels great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. That's why I named them in the book. Like they need to hold these L's. Same way yeah. we all same way we all gotta live our truths. Yeah. All of these people have to live their truths. Yeah. I just love when you have those rough moments where you kind of keep it real and then so you get to kind of, I hate to even say it out loud, but you get to kind of enjoy someone else's failure. And like an I told you so moment. Yeah, you fall you fall up. Yeah. You know, but the good thing about Philly was I had Beanie Siegel. Beanie Siegel was my last interview. And I remember Kevin saying this to me. Kevin said, yo, you're only good as your last show. You and I would have banged. Yeah. Because this is the rise of social media. Yeah. So a lot of my interviews in that short eight, enough, eight nine month span had went super viral. When I interviewed Cassie and Red Cafe, yeah. and then I had Beanie Siegel in there. And um, Beanie was airing out Jay-Z. Like he was just going in on wow. Jay. That's when him and Jay had a beef. And, and that was a big, that interview blew up? <laughs> Huge, yeah. so much so Jay Z had to Jay Z had to respond to it that weekend, and I, the interview came out on Friday. Interview came out on a Thursday. I did the radio that Friday, came back that Monday, got fired that Monday. Oh, I had all my clothes packed in the car, getting ready to move all my clothes into my new townhouse in Philly. My wife and everybody getting ready to move in, and I got fired that Monday. Jesus. And so it went from Friday having this big viral moment with Beanie Siegel to getting fired on Monday. Now the story is Jay-Z got Charlemagne fired. Ah, shit, I didn't even think about that. So if you watched this Vlad TV interview I did from that time, right after that, I told Vlad, I said, yo, this is gonna read great in the book one day. Yeah. I said, I'm not mad. And that was really your mentality then? Yeah, it's on record, I said Man. it. I, told, I said it on that video, I said, this is gonna read really great in the book one day. You have just this crazy like sense of like, in these moments, knowing I don't know what it is, man. Like the bigger picture or the right move or like to even walk in like 99% of people, if you had the opportunity to walk into a radio station with Wendy Williams' husband and he said you're worth 250, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm worth 250, whatever you say. Yeah. But to have the presence of mind to be like, nah, nah man, chill, you're going to blow it for me. Like you've had a lot of those moments. Yes. It's really good, man. I know I know what I'm worth now though. Yeah. Sure <laughs> you know, I moved yeah. past 250 a long time ago. Yeah. What I'm saying. Uh, my, 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 my deal is up next year with iHeart. I know what I'm worth now. Yeah. You know? And, and but like, that's the way you got to play it. That's why I always try to tell people is that you have to like earn that. You have absolutely. to earn to get to the point of saying, now I can, absolutely. now I know what I'm worth. A absolutely. 100%. And it's interesting. I make, I make more in all my outside ventures than I do yeah. at iHeart right now. I bet. But I know that'll change. With my new deal. With the new deal. Yeah, I know all that'll change with my new deal. And then you, man, I love, one part of your, the part of your story of getting fired so many times from radio is like a really, it's like the Michael Jordan, like, drop from the college basketball team. Thing. Like, it's like, yeah. it's so good for your story now that you got fired from radio that four many times. times. And now you're like, Philly was the, the fourth time. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I got fired from radio in Philly, I met with my man G-Spin, me and Kev. Cause see, that's the thing Kev was mad about before that I didn't take him to go talk to the management, mm -hmm. you know, in Philly. So when I got fired and it came time for me to have conversations with Power 105, I'm like, I'm not gonna make the same mistake. I bought Kev with me, Wendy's husband. Uh, lo and behold, that's the reason I didn't get the job. I didn't mm -hmm. get the job because his reputation preceded him. Mm -hmm. So when I left, all the salespeople and everybody was coming upstairs telling Cadillac, you cannot hire Charlemagne if Kev is his manager. Yeah. Kev is a bad. 
person. He's got bad energy. Yeah. He's gonna fuck things up. Like yo, all kind, just all kind of stuff. So I didn't end up getting that that job. But then I remember being in New York, like in June of 2010, and just hitting G Spin up. Like yo, I'm in New York. He was like, yo, come by the station. Came to the station. He was like, yo, my boss, Cadillac Jack, who's a great mentor to me to this day. Him and G Spin. He said my boss has been watching you and Duvall's Hood State of the Unions all day long. Was that on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. So I remember going in there having a conversation with Cadillac and him saying, first thing he said, is Kev still your manager? I said, nah. He said, why not? I said, cuz man, when you pray to God to take negativity out your life, he's not swinging at spirits. He's swinging at people and things. That's the embodiment of that negativity. And Cadillac was like, guy's got a weird energy, doesn't he? And he told me the story about how everybody was so against me being on the station yeah. if Kev was my manager. And um, he was like, how long can you wait for this job? And I was like, however long it takes. And he was like, all right. And then around that summer is when he started hitting me, asking me like who I would want to work with. And I was like, Angela Yee. Yeah. And um, he was like, isn't she like you? And I was like, nah, she's not like me. Like she, he, she had that reputation because she was on Shade 45, so you could curse and all that stuff yep. like that. Yep. And so he was like, all right. So then he, they came up with the idea to have Envy because Envy was like the New York staple. He could be like the anchor, yeah. you know what I'm saying, to keep the show moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, while I do what I do, Angela does what she does. And that's how The Breakfast Club was born. And you know. Crazy. From the time we got together in November of 2010, I was the guy running around saying, we're gonna be a nationally syndicated radio show. Yeah. I was like, yo, we might as well take Nicki Minaj saw a moment for life right now, yeah. where he said, this moment will be syndicated and like do viral videos to it. We're gonna be a nationally syndicated morning show. I just knew it. And now, 100 plus markets later, 150 countries, The Breakfast Club is a nationally syndicated morning show. Which, which which still feels so surreal to me because 20 years ago, I would look back and say, I want to be Tom Joyner. Yeah. I want to be Doug Banks. You know, I want to be Wendy Williams. I want to be Star and Buck. Now my show, The Breakfast Club, our show is bigger than Wendy's show was in national syndication, yeah. bigger than Star and Buck was in national syndication, on par with the Tom Joyners. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if, if, if not bigger, at this point, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, matter of fact, we are bigger. Than I mean, but man, point. like you're, it's even like your integration into the culture. Like Drake mentioning you in records and mm -hmm. like you are such a staple of the culture now. Like it's insane, man. To hear you tell it and to hear you say that those are the people you used to look up to and you used to think one day I want to be like them and, and then now to, because I have obviously a different perspective of you, right? I have a perspective pretty much as just a consumer. Mm -hmm. Like now you are this thing that's like this larger than life. You know what I mean? It's well, fucking incredible. Everything's, well, thank you. And everything's generational, right? Mm -hmm. Like I knew eventually, you know, Tom Joyner would get old. Mm -hmm. Doug Banks, God bless the dead, would get old. Or Wendy would get old. It's all get old. Like, it's just like basketball. Like, yeah, you got your Jordan. Yeah. But you're going to have your Kobe. Yeah. You're going to have your LeBron. It's going to be somebody after LeBron. You yeah. know what I mean? Just like it's going to be somebody after me. Yeah. It's going to be somebody, it's somebody listening to this interview right now. Yeah. And they, I'm inspiring them. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be in this position 15 years from now. Like, that's yeah. just the way the game goes. Yeah. Like, and you just have to understand that. Like, I'm not going to be doing this radio thing forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why I embrace the new generation so much. Like, I embrace the new generation of DJs, radio personalities, rappers, you know, actors. I don't know who's gonna be who. I just like creative, talented people. Yeah. And like, I like to use my platforms to big them up, you know yeah. what I'm saying? To lift them up, to empower them. I wish, I wanna be the adult that I needed as a child, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause I feel like Wendy helped empower me. 
Yeah. Even though she don't claim me now, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but she did help empower me, you know? Yeah. So that's what I like to do for other people. I yeah. love when I got a show on MTV too, like Uncommon Sense, and I can have Jesus and Mero on my show. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can have Cardi B on my show before yeah. she was a rapper, have Cardi B on The Breakfast Club before she was rapping, playing Cardi B's first single, Cheap Ass Weave. Yeah. And everybody think I'm trolling when I say Cardi B's gonna be a superstar. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love having DC Young Fly on The Breakfast Club five years ago. I love having Chico Bean on Uncommon Sense. Like I love, you know, yo, Tax Stone, give Tax Stone a podcast. Like I love being the guy that throws these assists yeah. and just helps elevate people's voices, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I love empowering other people. I feel like that's how your legacy lives forever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't become, you know, a, 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 you, don't, you don't really establish legacy until you help other people create theirs. Yeah. That's what I think, yeah. you know? So that's the beauty of being in the position that I'm in now that I know that I'm a public servant and I'm just here to serve the needs of the public and I'm here to help other people. You know what I'm saying? I'm help I'm here to help elevate these other conversations and these these other voices. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I love what the Breakfast Club does now. Yeah. You know? Like I want to go to where people had pivotal moments in their life. Yeah. And, and you know, like I would take Cardi B to the script club she used to script in. Yeah. The apartment she grew up in in the Bronx, you know what I'm saying. I would take Tiffany Haddish to the foster home she grew up in. I would take Colin Kaepernick to the 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 field he first took a knee on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I would take I would go to George Bush's ranch and sit with him while he's painting. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like like something like <laughs> That'd that. That'd be some shit to see. Yeah, or yeah. take George Bush to the to Ground Zero. Yeah, yeah. And like yo, Mr. George, you know. Do you remember when Jadakiss said you did you ever hear when Jadakiss said why did Bush knock down the towers? Oh man, if you could get that content. Why did you? I will. I, will, I promise you I will, drama. My ultimate goal where I know I'm going to be, I know I'm going I'm going to have my own late night show on network television one day. That's the next. I know it. Yeah. I know it. Like I, I, I there's no black male late night show host. Yeah. There's no women late night, no woman late night show host. Last one we had was Arsenio. Yeah. You know, I love what Stephen Colbert does. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I love what Jimmy Fallon does. I love what Jimmy Kimmel does. I think the next wave of that will be brothers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It will be me, yeah. Nick Cannon, you know, Van Lathan. I feel like we're gonna see a time, cause those guys are old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. those guys are in their 50s. So it's gonna be a time in in a decade. So I don't even know, I don't know how long it's gonna be, but there's gonna be a time where it's gonna be a wave of black late night hosts. Yeah. And women late night host on television, yeah. and I feel like, for you know, sure, I feel like I've put in the work for that to be my next yeah. evolution. So See? is that what you look at when you look at now, like, like I guess almost a mini version of when you used to look at Sway and those dudes and say I'm going to be that one day. Mm -hmm. Now do you look at like I'm going to be Colbert? Three hundred percent. Yeah, and and I feel like I, the, the the last two times I got that rush, when when I felt at home. I've I've done Stephen Colbert like six times. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? I did Colbert a couple weeks ago actually when my yeah. book came out. I love Stephen Colbert. He's from South Carolina. You know, he shows me a lot of love and support and I appreciate him for that. But I feel that energy when I'm out there. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm gonna do this one day. Yeah. You know, the way the crowd reacts to me yeah. and you know, just just the I can just feel it. And the only other time I the other time I felt that rush was when I did Bill Maher. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm like, this is this what I this is That's kind of how you used to feel at radio, right? In the yeah. early days? Yeah. I still feel that way with radio. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But I, I mean, just, when you felt like, this is my future. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. This is it. Like, you can, I, that's a great way to put it. I can feel my future. Yeah. When I did Bill Maher, I felt my future. Yeah. When I did, you know, Stephen Colbert, I felt my future. You know, the only problem with any of those networks is those networks have to give black people the same leniency they give white people. And what, you know, what do you mean? I feel like when you're a black male, you have to be perfect to work for those networks. But yeah. they take the same flaws that the same flaws that a, that a, a white male could have. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna let the black person have those kind of imperfections. But you wonder what I would. Uh, I'm curious on your opinion on because what I would argue is like you probably do have to do that to get in the door. Mm -hmm. But once you start, once the numbers prove themselves out. It doesn't matter anymore. Well, don't you think? Yeah, but I, I just think we live in this era like, yo, we all got a past. Like, I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like you've seen write-ups about me. Charlemagne the God is a shock jock. You know, yeah. the, the hip-hop Howard Stern. So yeah. I'm grown now and I've evolved now, but you still got to deal with the, 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 the person I was then because yeah. a lot of that rhetoric can come back to haunt you. Like, I had some rhetoric come back to haunt me this summer from a few years ago. You know what I mean? And it's like... I just think that's the price that unfortunately you're probably going to have to pay because yeah. you're going to be first. But mm -hmm. then you're going to do it and they're going to want to look for 10 more people like you. You know what I'm saying? Like True you're going to have to play that game, unfortunately, until you prove it out with the numbers. And then the next generation that comes up under you is not going to have to deal with that because you prove there's a market for that. True indeed. You know? I, 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 I can see that. You know what I mean? But then I'm also on the flip side. I don't want to play that game either because I don't I have know, to. I know, I know. You know what I mean? I got Nobody a, does. I got a, I got a pod, Brilliant Idiots podcast. Yep. We're doing like a couple million a month. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's 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 a seven-figure situation. Yo, you, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised people, nobody bought your podcast yet. I'm sure you're getting mad offers from people. Oh, no. Wait, for to buy it, you mean? Yes. Outright, no. Yeah, I got people that are offering But like us. who's even doing deals like that? <laughs> like Spotify, like what Joe Budden did? Luminary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> WME. It's a lot of people out here offering seven figure situations. I just started doing ads. I was just running oh, mine for wow. so long on really? like for the love of the game. Like, cause I have a clothing brand, Young and Reckless. It. And it was. Oh, just, Young and Reckless is your shit? Yeah. That's what I do here. That's what this office is. The podcast wow. is just me being like, yo, for the love of the game, I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, entertainers, and give this to the, the fans for free, right? Oh, yeah, they coming. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised that they they're gonna hear this right here. They coming. Trust me. Yeah. Like like the contracts that these people are offering are like outrageous. So it's like, wow, the, for a fucking podcast to do what we're doing right now. Yeah, you want to pay me a couple of M's? Like, I'm into it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, I listen, man. The currency is in the people. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I love people. Mm -hmm. I'm a people person. You know what I'm saying? When I'm writing these books, I'm doing this because I'm sharing my experiences to empower other people. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people fuck with me the way that they do drama, but I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. As long as I got the people, I'm good. All mm -hmm. of these networks, they want what I already have, which is the people. Yeah. That's what they want. They yeah. want ratings. They want numbers. Ratings and numbers is what? People. Yeah. I have people. You Thank sure God do. I have people. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't feel like I have to play that game. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am what I am. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I've said some fucked up things in my journey, <laughs> yeah. you know? But I've been doing radio for 20 years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you're not going to hold it against Howard Stern, don't hold it against me. Yeah. If you're not going to hold it against Bill Maher, don't hold it against me. Yeah. If you're not going to hold it against any of these other shock jock 
personalities because there's really nothing shocking about anything that I'm doing other than being my true authentic self. If you're not going to hold it against any of them and they're still able to do America's Got Talent and whatever else, don't hold Charlemagne back from being able to do any of that kind of stuff. You're right. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm just saying I think anytime old white dudes do late night TV and that's what they're used to and that's what's safe. And anytime anything changes, someone has to like do the extra shit, You're right? You know what I mean. You're right. And anyway, I, and, and I'll be that. I'll be that. But trust me, that we, we, the same way we sitting here and I'm talking about things I said 20 years ago that came to pass. Yeah, we're gonna be here in the future. Like, yo, he told me he was gonna host his own. Oh, I know. Late night I can't wait to re-air this episode. Yes, in like five years. 100. Um, okay, I'm gonna let you get out of here. Thank you, Drum. Can Thank I you ask for you one me, last man? question? Of course. If you could go back in time to Monk's Corner, you're running around getting in trouble. Uh, shooting at cars, not you, but other people with you, fighting. You could tell yourself one quick thing, now knowing everything you know. What would you tell yourself? Everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. This 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 too shall pass, you know, but don't be afraid to grow. Don't be afraid to evolve. Don't be afraid to learn from your mistakes as well as the mistakes of others, mm-hmm. you know? And this ain't going to be the, 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 the first or last time you make a mistake in your life. Mm-hmm. Just constantly learn from it. And you'll be fine. And I feel like I must have went back to my, went back to the future and told myself that, because mm-hmm. that was always my mindset. Yeah. And you know the funny thing about life—that's why age is so so beautiful. When you're 40 years old and you can look back on everything that you've done, you realize none of it was as bad as it seemed in the moment. Yeah. So you really do understand that this too shall pass. That's why I laugh at like interns and young people now when they're acting like it's the end of the fucking world yeah. for things that they're telling me about things that are happening in their life at 20. I'm like, shut the fuck <laughs> up. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, um, Okay. The book is out. Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. Available everywhere you buy books right now, man. It's just about my dealings with anxiety, going to therapy to try to figure it out, you know, PTSD, trauma from things that happened to me when I was young. Um, I have my man, Dr. Ish Major, in there giving the clinical correlations yeah, to- That was a great call. All my experiences. Yeah, because I'm not an expert at anything. I know, you know but it's saying? just like, you make it really relatable, and then that part is like, oh, I get that. You know, yeah. like you just feel like someone says, hey, listen, this is what we want to tell you. It's almost like you get like a sampling of like therapy in the book. Boom. That's yeah. exact drama. I'm so happy you said that, because that's exactly what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted to- express my vulnerabilities the way I would to my therapist yeah. and then have the therapist come in and that's what a therapist would tell you, yeah. you know? So yes, I want people to, if you want wondering what therapy feels like, looks like, sounds like, it's right there in the book. There it is. Thank you, Thank John. you, man. Can't thank you enough. Yeah, man. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at C to God, C-T-H-A-G-O-D. Thank you, John. There it is. And there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If, if you did, um, screenshot your phone. Post it in your Instagram story. Tag me. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Tell your friends. Uh, tell people to check it out. All of your guys' just word of mouth spreading the word is what's doing so much to promote the show. And so I can't thank you guys enough for all that. I'm going through my stories all day, reposting, uh, checking your guys' messages. And thank you. Hope you liked it. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.